two stonemasons. You come up on them, and they're working hard, and so you go up to one. Can I have that podium right there, please, sir? You come up to one, and you interview him. And you say, how do you like your job? He says, I've been building this wall for as long as I can remember. Come out here every day in this hot, scorching sun, lifting these stones up and placing them in place. It is back-breaking work. You know what? I've been doing it so long and I can't see an end to it. Reality is this project will probably won't even be finished in my lifetime. But it's a job. It pays the bills. You walk about 30 feet over, thank that guy for his time. You go to another stonemason and you ask him, how do you like your job? He said, I love my job. I'm building a cathedral. He said, I come out here every day in this hot, scorching, humid sun. And I've been lifting these big old stones, and it is back-breaking. And I, and I realize this, this project may not even be finished in my lifetime. But I love my job because I'm building a cathedral. A lot of people will work for a what, but they'll give their lives for a why. See, what you do matters. It matters more than your doctoring or your constructing or your financing or your, or your engineering or your teaching or your, or your staying at home or whatever that is. It's more than that. What you do, really, if you lean into it for what God has, it matters way bigger than what you think you're doing. It matters. Going to school matters differently when it's in God's hands. And you understand that what you do really matters for not just now, but for eternity. The why matters. But sometimes we have to stop, don't we, a little bit. And we get to going so fast and so busy that we forget why. We forget why. You know, I, I work out in the gym a few days a week and two or three days a week by myself out there. I love playing basketball. Many of you know a couple of things. One, I love playing basketball. The other is I got a new hip last year, which allows me to do some more things. Yeah, yeah, there. Woo, that's, that's my wife. No, not my wife. Right right <laughs> Look at him go. No, that's not what she said. But what I've realized is I, these two basketballs, I have them upstairs. Uh, I, 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 these are our nice ones, so we keep them locked up and hidden from the rest of the community that comes into our gym. <laughs> but no, we do. But, uh, but one of the things I've realized is is that i got these two balls. They're, they're, if you look at them, they look just alike. And, and I don't even sometimes know the difference between the two. And when I go up there, and there's really no reason for me to worry about it except this. If I go in there every day and I use these basketballs, 
whatever reason, you hear the difference between the two of them? See the response to one versus response to the other? This is the one I use three times a week. This is the one I've been letting sit there. You know what's happened? I aired them up at the same time for the same pressure. But the one I use all the time keeps the air in it. The one I don't pick up loses it. Now, you can figure that out and go, go to, you know, Bill, go to some science, whatever. I started telling why I said Bill somebody. I don't have an idea who Bill is. But go to, I was going to make up some scientist name. I'm just, yeah, that's what it is, Bill Nye the science guy. That's what I thought. I was right on that. So go look that up. Ask him why it happens. But what I, I don't know exactly why it happens. I don't know if it's the bouncing, the pressure, the air that goes into it as you bounce it. But what I realize is if you don't use it for what it was designed for, if you don't use it, it begins to lose air. That's what I do know. Anybody been losing any air? It looked just alike. You can't tell from a distance. We're beginning our seventh year, or we have begun our seventh year here at Renovation. And one of the things that I realized in Nehemiah talks about, in the book of Nehemiah, uh, 26 days into them building the wall. Nehemiah is a book in the Old Testament. It's a great story of leadership. If you want to go read that, I don't, I don't have time today to explain who Nehemiah exactly was. But one of the things about his leadership was not only to go out and look at, the, look at the wall and look at the city of Jerusalem and saw what the needs were, but one of the things was about 26 days into them putting their hands to the project to start working, he had cast this vision of what they were going to do. 26 days in, halfway through the 52 days, people lost vision of what they were supposed to be doing. Because people are chirping at them, people are telling them to come off the wall, people are and if you're not careful, with all the distractions, you begin to lose Focus on why you do what you do. So I heard Rick Warren say one time that at Saddleback Church, if you can look up who he is too, but he said, a great leader, I think, in the church, but he said every 26 days he reminds his people at Saddleback of the vision because there's vision leak. First question I want to ask you this morning what are you building? Have you ever sat down and made a vision? God's vision for your life of why you do what you do, do you get why you get up every day, the purpose behind why you want to do that particular job or live in that particular house or go, I don't know. Because what I have found out over the last few weeks is every day when you get up, you're going to have an opportunity to rub shoulders with people. And you're going to have an opportunity every day to be the fragrance of Roman or Christ or some just nobody. And what I mean by nobody, I don't mean the sermon that we preached a few months ago or a song I would love for you to I know you'd love for me to sing. Okay, I'll sing it. <laughs> I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody. See, I knew you wanted that, so that's the reason I did that for you this morning. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just some ordinary person that people rub shoulders with every day. I would rather be a person that people go, hey, hey, man, I, I got to say, you, there's something different about you. And you never say anything about Jesus. 
It's just the fragrance aroma of Christ coming out of your life. But as a church, we've got to step back on a, on a regular basis. I believe not only as a staff, and I'll talk a little bit more about what we did a few months ago on that, but even as a church, just to remind you why we're even here. Some of you are pretty new to renovation. Some of you, maybe your first Sunday, go, what have I stepped off into here at this church? Why is it different than the other churches? Well, we're not trying to just be different than everybody else, but there is a why. There is a why we're here. The term renovation, why is it called renovation church? Well, the term renovation is, I don't know if we have the definition, of it, but it comes from the Latin word renovare, which means to make new or to bring vigor and life. Anybody need that? Anybody need that? I mean, I hope you do. I mean, I, I, that's why it's called Renovation Church. Now, it came, there's a long process that it, the, how we ended up at that name seven years ago. Won't go into that. But that's why we're called that, because we believe that God wants to make things new. To bring vigor in life. Not just to get you saved so you can hold on till you get to heaven, but to bring zoe. To bring life. Why is our logo the way it is? Well, it's a, it's a construction sign. Basically, it's what it is. The cover may, color may be a little off. The color, I found out this week, or a couple weeks ago, that yellow is called Confident Yellow. I thought, that's a pretty awesome name, right? <laughs> Confident Yellow. Anyway. Uh, but it's a, it's a construction sign that we are under construction. We're always going to be under construction, if you will. But it's a broken construction sign representing the broken pieces of this world but in the middle of it is the cross it is that which bridges that's that which reconciles it's that which draws and, and allows men and women and young and old to come back to him our vision here to raise up influencers to spiritual transformation, to be salt and light. And if you know anything about Scripture, and I don't have time today, again, to spend a lot of time, but we will, there's going to be opportunities if you want to learn, learn more about why we do it this way and make this vision. But to be, Scripture backs up the salt and light part of this. But to be salt and light where we're engaged and influential. Where we're already, one of the things we've been passionate about since we've been at Renovation is not trying to, and, and, and part of this, let me say this, part of this has come from years of me being in ministry where we tried to create so many ministries at the church to try to draw people out of the world to work at the church when in reality people are already in the world. So why aren't we preparing people to be where God's already placed them? That just seems to make more sense to me. Us to give them the tools and, the, and, and create an environment where that can happen. So that's the vision. And that's what we hope is as time goes on, you'll go, oh, I see that now. I see what they're doing there now. I see why that's the way it is because they're trying to get there. That, this church is trying to get there. Influencers, I mean, anytime you can put in the word influencer, you can put in there disciples, you can put witnesses, you can put, there's a lot of words you can, but we choose the word because we influence because we believe everybody has influence. From the fourth grader and four-year-old to the 14-year-old to the 24-year-old to the 94-year-old. 
I love Jesus' vision in this sense. Jesus had said, those who give themselves to him will receive living water. The Spirit of God himself. And I love the fact, he says, I will keep them from ever thirsting again. Streams of living water flowing from within you to a thirsty world. That's a pretty cool vision. Powerful. I don't know what you do in the vision of your company or wherever it is, but there is no greater vision than that that you can give your life to. There just isn't. And the good thing about it is you can give your life to that and still work where you work. Matter of fact, we want you to. Matter of fact, God has called you to. Our mission statement here comes out of 1 Thessalonians 1, 1 through 5. And I'll just read this verse. We'll talk a little bit more next week as I start a series next week called Now What? Now What? Some of you have reached something, whether whatever's happened in your life, you've reached this certain point, and it's like, now what? Can anybody raise their hand to that? No, you don't have to, but now what? I digress. And I didn't digress, but I got off. First Thessalonians 1, 1 through 5. Paul, Simus, Silas, and Timothy to the church of, of the Thessalonians, God the Father the, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember you before our God and Father. Your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope and our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power. With the Holy Spirit, and here's where some of you may be missing out. Deep conviction. I believe one of the reasons so many of our people and so many of our churches don't walk in the powers because they're still straddling the fence. Decisiveness, I said to you a few weeks ago when I preached on Samson, decisiveness brings power. Straddling the fence has no power. Some of you are wondering why you don't have power in your faith. is because I believe you haven't gone all in. You haven't surrendered. You haven't committed. Every now and then you see a little peak and you go, Oh, okay, I kind of like that. But that's enough to stick around. But overall, you don't walk in the power of the Spirit because you've not all in. Doesn't mean you're not saved. I'm not saying that. Don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm just saying you're not in deep conviction. You may have mentally assented to it, ascended to it, and you may mentally agree with it, but it's not deep into the bowels of your soul. And that changes things. That changes things. To live by faith. So our mission statement is to live by faith, to be known by love, to be a voice of hope, to walk by faith. 
to be found faithful. I love Brian Houston's, because one of the things I love, what we've talked about here before, you can't walk by faith and not be faithful. The Jewish culture would have never separated those. Some of us think that living by faith is we got the right theology. Matter of fact, you can have maybe the wrong theology and be living in more faith. Matter of fact, I believe when I came to know Christ at 27 years old in 1987, 1986, I have a feeling in that first week or two, I had my theology actually for the first year was terrible. And I was trying to lead, I was leading people to Jesus with terrible theology. But I love Jesus and I was trying to point him, trying to point people to him. Because my faith was strong. And I was trying to be faithful. I love Brian Houston's statement. He said, faithfulness is holding on to your purpose and trusting in God's goodness in the midst of all peaks, celebrations, and mountaintops, as well as the trials, temptations, and tragedies that life throws at you. This is how you grow grounded in grace. I believe God is continually inviting us into his story. And so many of us are trying to pray, God, what do you want to do with us? And, and, and I understand that, but I think what's more and more, more important is what God wants to do where you are, and he's inviting you into it. Look and see what God is up to and join him. Become who he's calling you to be and then join him. To be known by love. See, I believe there's a world, and I think we as a leadership here believe there's a world out there calling us to live up to our best. And you'll hear more about that even next week when we talk about some of the training we'd hear called Uncommon and some different things that we do. If I can only truly love others by promoting their good, then the only way I can ever truly, I believe, truly promote their good is to be healthy and whole. And here's why. As long as I'm dysfunctional, as long as I am okay not being whole and healthy, everything runs through me first and how it affects me. It just does. So if we're called to love the world and to love those around us, the one thing we've got to make a priority, I believe, is we get healthy and whole. If we're not healthy and whole, we cannot love them the way the Word says to love them. Jesus is asked. He's asked, and Wesley, with John Wesley, you can look that up later if you don't know who he is, ask to define holiness. And he said, it is to, and it's Jesus' description of the greatest two commandments. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And as long as everything is about me, I can't do that. God wants you whole and healthy, not only for your sake, but for others. And you've heard us say many times here, when we're good to others, we're always best to ourselves. We always are. 
But see, I can't love my neighbor and lie about them. I can't love my neighbor and gossip about them. I can't love my neighbor and tweet about them. I can't love my neighbor when I'm insecure. To be a voice of hope. What I love about hope is not only hope for my life. One of you, if you hear someday my teaching on ethos and the Christ likeness, I believe one of the traits that Christ had was he believed in people. He didn't just see the disciples the way they were. He saw them the way they could be. So what's so great about hope? Well, of course it's hope for me and, and my future and my family. But I can look at somebody's life that's unbelievably messed up and dysfunctional and go, I believe God can. I think, I believe the greater you believe in, and you're able to walk in hope, the greater acceleration of your faith begins to happen. Because when there's no hope in the future, there's no power in the present. So if I have no great hope, I can tell you, you won't operate in power for God to do what only he can do. But that allows me to look at our culture when many of us would say, oh my goodness, look at our culture. I look at it as an opportunity for light to shine in darkness. Why would we look at it in despair and, oh man, just cover your head up. Let's find a... You know, a bombshell bunker somewhere and let's hide till Jesus comes back. Man, this is the time. This is the time for the church to step up. It's not time to hide. It's not time to build walls. It's time to break walls down. That's not a political statement. Take it for what it's worth. What I'm saying is this. We should be the most optimistic. And we got hope. We got hope for now, and we got hope for the future. People need to know that God is good. He is good. And let me tell you this, the hope is just not for you guys. If the hope, this good news of Jesus, if it's good news for you, it's good news for my neighbor. It's good for news for my neighbor that may be of a different color, a different lifestyle, a different whatever. It's good news. If it's good news for me, then it's good news for everybody else. Geographically around the world, you name it, it's good news for them. Or it's not good news for any of us. Good news. Voice of hope. Our values here at Renovation, you go, man, there's a lot of stuff you're throwing at us. Yeah, I know. One of them is Transformation. I've already mentioned that a little bit in faith. Not just for, we believe God can change us, but not just for change's sake. It's to transform us into his likeness. That's what it's for. I love what this statement by Catherine Booth, the wife of William Booth, 
They were founders of Salvation Army. I love this statement. There is no improving the future without disturbing the present. There is no improving the future without disturbing the present. I love what T.D. Jakes, I think, said a few years ago, and I'm paraphrasing here. Those of you who know who T.D. Jakes is, but I love his statement. He said, the problem for most people is not their picture of a greater future. A lot of us have that. That's not the problem for most of us. It's what we're not willing to let go of to take on that great future. We're not willing to let go. We're not willing to change. We're not willing to allow the disturbing part of it to happen. The reason why we call ourselves renovation is a lot of reasons, but one of them is this. We know that we're all going to be going under renovation projects on a consistent basis. One of the things I love about the teaching we have and the holiness teaching is that God is never done with you. You never reach a point going, I have arrived until we see Jesus face to face. You're not getting there. So there's always this, 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 this growing. There's always this opportunity to change. There's always these opportunities that come into our life that we can step into and go, I see this, this as an opportunity to grow in Christ. Here's the problem with renovation projects. We're, in, we're going on, many of you will see right now, if you go to the children's building, you go in the fellowship hall, over the next few months, hopefully we're going to see a lot of renovation projects. Anybody ever thought about, anybody ever done a renovation project? Let me see a hand. Just, really, just leave a hand. If you've ever done one, if, if you've ever done one, uh, well, what's crazy about it is you're right in the middle of it going, and it's all destroyed, and you're going, I don't know if this is worth it. <laughs> anybody ever done that? I mean, you're right in the middle of it going, uh, you know what? I think I'd just rather go back to where we were. This is not Worth, but here's the problem with spiritual transformation. You don't, you don't, sometimes you're not a volunteer, you're not, you don't get to volunteer for it, you don't get to sign up for it, it's just on you. You didn't have any say so in the circumstance. And if you're not careful in the middle of that renovation project, you'll start pointing the finger at everybody else. Same thing that happened in the garden, hide and blame, right? What did I need to hide blame? And I'm not saying you were not a victim of something. And something may be very horrible. But there's a difference between that and staying a victim. There's a difference in that and looking up going, okay, God, what are you up to? I don't mean for a moment your head may drop. And you go, oh, my goodness, where are you, God? I had an opportunity to talk to a man this week. I don't think he's here. But I said, you know, God's where he's always been, chasing after you. <laughs> he's been chasing after you. And he's just using this. Not that he wanted it for you. He didn't want to break your heart. He didn't want to cause this to happen. He didn't cause it to happen. But in the middle of it, man, can he take broken pieces and make some beautiful mosaic out of it? Wow, can he? Can he? Our goal here is to create an environment where great transformation can happen. But we will never try to do what only God can do. Only God can change you. But we can give some good conditions for that to happen. And that's what we're trying to do here. Community. The value of community. 
I would agree that this whole church thing would be a whole lot easier if people were just not messed up. <laughs> I love pastoring except the people part of it. That's, that's the entire time. Nah, nah, just kidding. But I've heard that said before, so it's, I'll blame it on somebody else. But <laughs> Wouldn't life be better if everybody thought and acted like you? We act that way, don't we? You know, if everybody thought like I did, wouldn't everything be a lot better? That'd really, really be funny if it weren't so close to home. God has placed us among imperfect people. Where even at their best moment, it's complicated. However, community is what we were created for. In the garden. Until there was two is not good. The disciples, look at the early church. Man, they are together. There are certain things happen being a part of a community. And I realize, and there are certain places in the world where online community is all they can do because they're in limited access places in the world where they might get killed Die for their faith. I get that. But we're not that. There are certain things that happen in this room on a Sunday, on a weekly basis that will not happen by listening online. And I'm all for that. We, we're going to use everything. We're gonna, part of our deal is creative expansion. We're going to use those kind of things. But what I'm saying is something happens when the konania of God's body, God's people are together. It just does. And I can't explain it. And if you don't like community, you're not going to like heaven very much. <laughs> Revelation ends with us in community. <laughs> it all ends with us in community. It started, middle, end community. Just want you to know that. If you don't like change, then don't read this thing. If you don't like change, don't become a Christian. It's all about change. It's all about it. And I know I'm saying it with a smile on my face like I've got, I've got, a, I've got the secret. I don't mean it that way. You can be in on it too. I love what our, our goal in, inside a community, 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 21, says our ministry and let's go ahead and slide on down to verse 16 if you've got it. Skip on down. You guys can read this later. From now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. That's us. That's good news. Okay? The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. I don't see no color, no lifestyle, no, no nothing and in the parentheses saying just only for these people. 
That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not, coming, not counting people's sin against them. And he was committed, has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. Like I said, Peter talks about being part of a holy nation. That's, being part, that's, be, that's better than being part of Raider Nation, especially this weekend, but yeah, that's beside the point. I, I'm a part of a lot of nations, if you will. Even the United States of America, I love this country. Don't ever question that. But at the end of the day, I'm part of a holy nation that goes all over this world. That no matter where I go, there's a great chance I'm going to find somebody immediately that's a part of the nation I'm a part of. That's different. The value of mercy. Folks, this is not just putting in a buck or two and sending somebody's way. Mercy is you are moved with the desire to alleviate the problem and to make a difference. There's a lot of people that are moved at times to, to short spurts of compassion and mercy. All, all kinds of people can do that. But to live with the spirit of mercy and the attitude of mercy and the attitude of grace, that's a transform, transformative state. You don't just get that. You can't go to school for that. That's a God thing. A few years ago, we were in Arkansas and uh, on a mission trip with our, uh, basketball has nothing to do with this, but I just like holding it. Uh, <laughs> and Brother Paul, many of you know, we go to a place called Friendly Chapel Church of the Nazarene there in North Little Rock. We have over the years. And he had assigned, we were remodeling a house about three or four miles away from the church. And he assigned us uh, a, a gentleman who's probably in his 50s. Maybe who had, I think had a significant alcohol problem, but he had some community work that he had to work off. Okay, so Brother Paul gave him to us for the day. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Brother Paul. Now, again, that sounds cold, but he was just there hanging out, really not doing much. It was one of those beautiful blue sky, hot, humid summer days in Arkansas. July, and if you've been there, it just it is what it is. So we're remodeling his bathroom, and uh, Tim, I don't, he's not here. I think he's with FEMA. I think he's, he's around the, he's, I think he's on the East Coast right now, but he's a part of our church here. He was in our youth group, and uh, he was remodeling a bathroom. And, and so we stepped, so this guy came up and was knocking on the door real hard, and somebody else was in the bathroom right before we, we had finished taking the toilet up, and he's beating on the door. And I came around and, and said, uh, you know, sir, can I help you? And he said, well, I need to go to the bathroom. And I said, well, okay. Just, and so the other person came out. And, and he had walked off, and I went up to him, and I said, oh, the bathroom's open now. And he goes, oh, it's too late. <laughs> what do you mean it's too late? <laughs> it's too late. And I looked, and he had diarrhea, and he had coveralls on, and it was just all over him. I mean, all over him. And there was a big puddle in the floor. I said, you go on home, and we're not messing with you anymore. No, I didn't. 
I said, hey, bud, I said, let's, uh, I said, where do you live? He said, ah, about two miles from here with a bunch of other guys. I said, okay, let's, I said, let's go get, and I was driving a, a, a rental van. Well, it's not a rental van. It's like an old rental moving van, two seats, vinyl seats in the front, and a big box on the back. And I said, once you get, I knew it was vinyl seats. So <laughs> I said, let's go. He gets in the truck, slides in the truck. And uh, <laughs> so we start driving, no air conditioning. And I am literally, and he, I am sticking my head out. The, I'm driving with my head out the window. Okay, driving this big old, I couldn't help it. I mean, I was about to throw up. So we get to his house, 10 o'clock in the morning, and there is this, I mean, cool-looking house with the porch went all the way around. It kind of older, kind of beat up, but porch all the way around. There's probably about 15 men already out there drinking. He gets out. He walks over to the house. These guys are laughing, making fun of him, just making fun of him. And finally, he comes back out with some other coveralls on. I didn't have anything to clean the seat with, so he slid right back in on top of where he'd been. So it is what it is. So I took him back to the... But I'll be honest with you, I was sitting there complaining in my mind. Not to him, not to anybody else, just to myself. And apparently to God. Uh, Take him back. He goes back to work back there. I go, i got to clean this truck. So I have to go get stuff, and I'm wiping it all down and spreading it. It's all over the place. It was bad. And in the middle of me cleaning it and complaining, and it was, I was sweating and about to throw up, the Lord reminded me of Matthew 25. And you can look it up later. When you've done it to one of the least of these, you've done it unto me. And the Lord reminded me, mercy is not a one-time act. It is a lifestyle. You don't have mercy, really, until it becomes the way you look at life. With the grace of God flowing from you. We're now entering our seventh year. We have. We're about to make some changes. You've seen on the screen already that the time changes. I hope you're making notes of those. First hour, 9.15 to 10.15, and we'll talk more about that next. We're going to be meeting in the fellowship hall for the first hour next week. So be sure and come back there, and we'll tell you way more about what your opportunities are. Service starts at 10.30, starting a new series called Now What? There's been some backdrop to this. If you had a chance to come to the core team meeting uh, the couple of them we've already had, uh, and, I'll, and I'll bring it back. I'll bring you back to speed next week. How we've ended up here. I won't spend a lot of time here today talking to you about that. But the one thing, as a staff retreat happened, and over the last back in May, we came to the point of believing the only way we could phrase it was, "It's time." It's just, it's time. It's time to take that step. It's time to move out. It's time to re, time to go public brand ourselves into this community but many of you don't like the term brand but let me say this about brand I don't know if you have the initiative up there slide up there but one of the things about branding is it is to become known to make him known to become known to make him known that people will know he is who he says he is but we've got to become as best we can like him so he we can advertise if you will like of a better way to say it The one and only. 
And I love this statement by Seth Godin. He said, the best branding or marketing is never self-focused. Marketing is the generous act of helping someone else solve a problem, their problem. It's not coercion or manipulation, but a chance to serve. Jeff and I had an opportunity to meet with one of the coaches that's in, it's been, he's around the world, connected to a lot of families in our neighborhood a few weeks ago. And he was sitting in my office, Jeff, and I was meeting with him. But he made this statement because he is concerned. I don't, I'm not sure he's a believer or not. That's not the point. He just said the concern parents have, they know they're overwhelmed right now in the, trying, to, trying to navigate this world with their kids. And I love the statement that he said to us. And I wrote it. I told Jeff, I want to write this down. He said, parents are looking for answers. And whoever provides those answers, they will knock their door down. Francis Chan says this, and I, I, I'm paraphrasing from a few years ago. I don't know if we have that slide or not. He was talking about the call. He said, I mean really. This faith we talk about is, if, if this faith we're talking about is the deciding factor and is the ultimate and only healer of individuals, marriages, cultures, families, cultures, a nation, or the world, we have to come to a sobering conclusion. Either there are individual lives, marriages, families, cultures, nations, or a world at stake, or they're not. And if they're not, let's go do something else with our lives. But if this faith is a deciding factor and is the ultimate only healer of all those mentioned, then we need to take this real, real serious and get busy. It's either one or the other. I, honestly, like I said earlier, there is no power in straddling. There is power in decisiveness. When you decide something happens, we believe it's time for this church to move into that gap in this community. We're not the only church. We know that's not what we try to say here. We believe we're working alongside great churches around this, but we've got a role here, or we need to sell this property and give it to somebody else. One of the two. And so we're going to begin starting next week. Uh, we've already started, but beginning next week, making some changes because we believe it's time. It's time. I've been doing a lot of reflecting here recently. I'm about to turn 60 in November. I know I don't look like it for some of you, but I am. My hip's not 60, though. It's only about 15 months old. Uh, but I've been doing a lot of reflecting. First, I got here real quick. I got to 60 faster than I thought I would. Well, let me back up. I didn't think I'd ever reach 60. That's the first thing. <laughs> but then, if I would, I got here a lot faster than I thought I would. But I believe this. I don't want to be like I know some pastors, and I've talked to them, who are trying to get to that, who were born in 1959, they want to get to 66 years and 10 months so they can have full retirement. I'll tell you right now, and don't take it, you take it however you want to. I don't want to spend the rest of my life just trying to keep a church between the ditches and making sure I don't rock the boat and hang on till I get to 6610. Yeah, I can probably go find you a pastor to do that. I'm just not that pastor. I don't want to be a part of a church where all we're trying to do every week is just trying to get you back. Come on, I'll give you a little more fuel for this week. 
Come on, we'll give you a little more push. Come on. No, we want to be a part of a church where we're introducing people to the fire called the Holy Spirit, but also a church where we're continuing to throw fuel on a fire that's already been burning because you've done your work. You've showed up on a Sunday ready to go. You're not coming here just so you can get a little, oh, if he doesn't give me a little fuel today, I'm in trouble this week. No, you've already been because you've been in that time with God. And you're coming this week, man, just to throw a little more fuel on and then see what you can do about your fragrance aroma inside of this body because there are people in here who need you to stand in the gap with them. And it's going to change. Always gets a little messy. And it's always a little Whatever. A little disturbing. I have a feeling, though, in the middle, I, many of you would rather just keep doing the same thing even though you know it's not working than to try something new. Colton and I, a few years ago, 13, 14 years ago, I don't know if you have that picture. <laughs> if you look at that picture, does it look like we're having fun? No! <laughs> There's nothing about that picture that says we're having fun. Right? Have you ever felt that way? I'm just holding on for dear life and oh my goodness, this is fun. (laughs) I hope we have a lot of pictures like that over the next year. And I love Colton's statement on that round. Many of you have already heard this before, but I'm going to share it again. That year, Colton, all those years we'd been going, taking the teens there. And, you know, Steve Frank and different ones, we'd all go. And Colton and I and Jan and Tori, and we'd, we'd stay in Looney Tune Land. Everybody been to Six Flags, Looney Tune Land at Six Flags? Well, Colton couldn't get to the, it took him a long time. I think he was like 16 when he got to the 40. <laughs> no, that's not true. But that year there, he was, he actually was, how old were you doing? Uh, he was 10. He reached that 48-inch. So we finally got to go on X and Goliath and Superman. Yay! So we did that. We go back to Looney Tune Land. He rides the roller coaster, and he gets off. And I said, how was that, bud? Because we'd already just run, rode these big ones. And he goes, Dad, when you've been on Superman and Goliath, you can't go back to Looney Tune Land. Some of you have been living in Looney Tune land way too long. <laughs> it's time to get on the X and hang on for dear life. It's time to break camp. Because I love this statement. You can make excuses or you can make progress, but you can't do both. You can make excuses or you can make progress, but you can't do both. Josiah, why don't you all come on up. Let's sing hallelujah. I think one of the things that will be great for us is we sing with all of our voice and our, to the depths of our soul. I tell you, when you, I, I, I get in my office, like I told you the other day, sometimes when I'm a closet charismatic, the reason I say that is not because I... When I'm in my office, I worship different. Because there's just times I can't keep it in. Whether I'm on my face before the Lord or I'm jumping and had all that this week. When I'm reminded of the goodness of God. 
And that he comes to fight for me. And to come to fight with me. And the calling he has on us as a church. I hope we can live into it. That is my prayer. That is our desire. That we will be that church. That will step into that gap. And it's somewhere 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago from now. There will be a community of people say, I'll tell you what, there was a church alive at 5604 North 24th Street in 2019. It was alive. And it was making a difference. What a great call. For such a time as this. For such a time as this. Won't you stand? Let me pray. I know I went way, way long and you're checking the scores right now. But at this point, the Raiders have not lost a game for the season, so I'm pretty happy. So They play tomorrow night, so anyway, just see you. We love you, Lord. We're just going to lift an hallelujah up to you. You've called us to great things for your glory. For others' good and for our best. Lord, we don't want to give a mediocre, nice try. The calling's too great for that. Let us be all in for your glory. Let us sing.